Good evening. My name is Oren Martin. I have new life in Christ. I'm recovering from lust and pride. I know it sounded like I wasn't done yet, but I was like, I could keep going. But I have new life in Christ. Praise the Lord. Uh, I have the opportunity to serve as the Senior Director of Equipping here at Watermark Community Church, and it is a joy to be with you tonight. We are talking about the story of the Bible, and so in the, in the in coming weeks, you're going to hear about different characters from Scripture, different people, different stories, and so tonight, we're talking about kind of the 30,000-foot the overview. What is the story of the Bible? Before we talk about that, I just want to tell you, I'll make a confession. As a father of young children, I have spent a significant probably too much, time building and stepping on these little things called Legos. Then when properly fitted together, form a beautiful masterpiece. You can go up to upstairs to my boys' room, and there are tons of Legos. I don't want to know how much money's been invested in those, thankfully from grandparents. I've learned often the hard way that each stage, the process is crucial in, in building the Legos. I've also learned the hard way that to skip a step, and I've also watched my 10-year-old learn the hard way again and again and again, learn the hard way that to skip a step for the sake of efficiency, for the sake of, oh, I got this, ends up with less than desirable results. So I must carefully walk through each step of the process. The first thing to do is when beginning to, to build, what do you do? You open up the box. If you're my 10-year-old, you don't uh, use the perforated edges. You just rip right halfway through it. And also, if you're my 10-year-old boy, bless his heart, uh, instead of doing each bag that are numbered, like do this first, tear this open, leave the numbers bag, number two, three, four, and five, he just opens everything and just dumps out everything. It is a nightmare. This brings confusion and anxiety. As the task awaits, I immediately feel, as a father, I get really, I get really anxious. I'm like, oh man, this is going to take even longer than it normally takes. Confusion because it initially seems impossible to see how these little parts. And if you, if you, I kind of up to date on Legos, they've gotten way more complex than like when I was a kid. Used to they were just like rectangles and squares. Now they're in all different shapes and sizes, and you can build like Lego things as big as this room. It's crazy. Not a lot of feedback tonight. It's, uh, that's kind of difficult. Feel, feel free to give me feedback. It, uh, it helps me kind of stay on task. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe if I give you something to amen about, you'll be more talkative. Confusion, anxiety, because I understand the prospect of time it will take to complete this task. And as the sets grow mo more complex, the blocks grow in diversity and in number, increasing the confusion and anxiety. Now, thankfully, hidden among the parts is a picture with instructions. Can you imagine trying to put a set together without a picture and instructions? That would be disastrous. Thankfully, there's a picture with instructions that guide us toward the goal so that you follow each step. Look at the picture. Make sure you got things right. And so as the builders, we move step by step, piece by piece. What is that? What happens? That picture reaches the grand reality, something beautiful. Now, why do I say that? Because I think as we sometimes, maybe if you're 
less familiar with the Bible, and even if you're more familiar with the Bible, the Bible can seem like that Lego set. Stories often seem disconnected. There's confusion. Axe heads floating on water, donkeys talking. There's some weird things we can admit there. And and if we don't have a, a picture or a goal of how these stories fit together, then we will be confused and anxious too. We may just treat the Bible kind of as a a moral self-help kind of do-it-yourself book. Thankfully, we have a picture that helps us make sense of the whole. And interestingly, it's not just a picture, it's a person. And I'm thinking specifically of Jesus in Luke chapter 24. You don't have to turn there where when Jesus is raised from the dead, uh, after he's raised from the dead, he shows up to these disciples who are walking on the road to Emmaus. And he's like, hey, what's going on? And they're like, have you not heard what's going on? There's a guy who came and performed all these miracles and did these teachings. And he suffered and died. And we thought he was the Messiah who's going to come save Israel. And Jesus is like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Tell me more. And they're like confused, right? It's kind of like me being confused, putting together a Lego set. These disciples are confused. And all of a sudden, Jesus opens their eyes. And he says to them, I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets and the Psalms. And what he tells us twice in Luke chapter 24 is that he is the fulfillment. He is the goal of all of the Old Testament stories. The Old Testament stories and the Old Testament characters find their goal and perfect fulfillment and completion in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Every story in the Bible fits into the grand story of what God is doing to make all things new in Christ. Your life and my life in this entire creation that's groaning under the weight of sin. And the amazing thing is that God invites us to be a part of this story. Now, how would I summarize the story? I'd summarize the story of the Bible in these words. The story of the Bible is the gospel of the kingdom. That's it. If I were to summarize, what is the story of the Bible? It is the gospel of the kingdom. Now, you may be wondering, how did you get that? Well, I get that from Jesus. And if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. What does gospel mean? Many of you know this. The gospel simply means good news. So when you put that together, the story of the Bible is the good news of the kingdom. It's the good news concerning or about the kingdom. Places like Matthew 4 and Luke 4 tell us this. Actually, Matthew 4 says that Jesus went around teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Did you hear that? He went around teaching and proclaiming one message, the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease, those who are hurting and afflicted. I just want to stop there and and maybe ask you don't have to answer out loud, but, but are you hurting? Are you afflicted? Do you find yourself in here tonight and you're hurting, you're, you're carrying something? You feel the shame and the burden and the guilt of carrying around a sin, a struggle. I know that was me 25 years ago after my dad died and I was, I was seeking the things of the world as I shared a couple of weeks ago when I was here talking about anger. I was seeking through substances and the things that the world had to offer. I was seeking escape. I was seeking for joy, and I was miserable. 
And just like Jesus came to bring the good news of the kingdom, I want to tell you tonight that there's good news for you. But in order for us to understand the good news of the kingdom, we need to understand the backstory and the bad news. You see, the good news of the kingdom didn't magically appear out of nowhere. Uh, Jesus' words had a context. They would have understood the background of the good news of the kingdom. And that background is the kingdom of God or God's kingdom or you can say God's reign or God's rule. It just emphasizes God's kingship. It goes all the way back to the very beginning, to the first book of the Bible, which is named Genesis. Really, it's the book of beginnings. That's what it means. And in Genesis 1, the first couple of chapters tell us that God created the world simply by speaking words, let there be light. Let there be land and sea and stars and moon and sun and creatures in the land and creatures in the air and creatures in the sea. He does that through the first five days. And then on the sixth day, as if the first five days were merely preparation, getting the world ready for the climactic act, which is man and woman. People made in the image of God. And God saw all that he had made. And it says in Genesis 2, behold, it was very good. There was peace. There was no conflict. There was no brokenness. There was love between God and his people and love between Adam and Eve, the first man and woman. There was peace between Adam and creation. Eve and creation, work, life was peaceful, joyful, life-giving. And because God is a good king, God gave them commands. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have children, multiply. God blessed them. And he says, this is what I've given you for food, that you might flourish and thrive and enjoy the life that I've given you in my good creation. God was a good king who gave them good words that would bring life and joy. But we know from Genesis 3, they didn't listen to their good king. They listened to an outside voice who, who, who told them of other places to find life. And they listened to that serpent who's later called the devil, who's Satan. They listened to him. And instead of that place being a place of blessing, now that place would become a place of brokenness and curse and conflict. We see that conflict between God and man, conflict between man and woman, conflict between man and the ground, curse, curse and childbearing for the woman. And all we see after Genesis 3 is sin and death. Friends, that's our story too. This is where we find ourselves. I, I don't think I have to convince you by the very fact that we are in here tonight together that we find ourselves broken. We, we look outside of us and we see the world is broken. Division, fracturing, death, disease. Not just outside of us, but inside of us. We see brokenness, struggle, depression. Where's the hope? And the hope is in Genesis 3.15. When God, in the midst of curse, in the midst of judgment, in the midst of pain, God says to the woman, to Eve, Eve, there will come an offspring. You will have a son. And though he will be injured, though he will receive an injury to his heel, he will deliver a blow, a fatal blow to the serpent's head. He will crush his 
And so from that point on in Genesis 3.15, we are looking for this promise to be fulfilled. Who is this child? Who is this offspring? And, and Adam and Eve go on to have children. Their names are Cain and Abel. And what do we see? Death. Cain kills Abel. Conflict. So we're looking for another one. Who's, who's the next son going to be? And we see people like Noah. He got drunk, shamed himself. He's not the one who would overcome sin and death. No, he was overcome by it. Another one, Abraham. Is he the, the child? Is he the offspring? We see he's a sinner too. He lied multiple times. His sons, Isaac and Jacob, liars. Moses disobeyed God, didn't listen to his word. Israel, the nation. We see the, the story moving along in Israel where there were sinners too, just like their fathers, all the way back to Adam disobeyed God, grumbled, tried to find their lives and things outside of God. They committed idolatry time and time and time again. They didn't trust God's word. And through Israel came a great king named David, and he was given magnificent promises that through David would come a son, a son Solomon. But we see through Solomon, he was an adulterer. He was unfaithful, just like his father was an adulterer. And all we see is sin and death and conflict and brokenness. And the Old Testament ends with Israel outside of the land, separated from God in conflict, in sin and death. And yet in the midst of that sin and judgment, God gives promises through his prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Promises of a coming savior, of a coming son who would come and he would break into history and bring God's salvation to his people. And so the Old Testament ends with waiting. And then we come to passages like Luke chapter 4, and I want to read this just for a second. We come to passages like Luke chapter 4, and we hear these kinds of promises. Verse 16, and Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given him. Okay, so envision with me, right? This isn't just like, you know, a Bible like this given to Jesus. It's an entire scroll. And he unrolls the scroll. I don't know how long it took him to do that. And found the place where it was written. And this happens to be Isaiah 61. So it wasn't like, hey, we read this passage for me and explain it. No, it's Jesus has an intentional reason for going to this passage in Isaiah 61. So he enrolls all the way to the end of Isaiah. Only 66 chapters. He goes all the way to the end. And he reads this passage. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news, those who are ringing a bell, the good news of the kingdom. He has sent me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year of the Lord's salvation. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And all, the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Now get the picture here. I want to be quick. These people had been waiting for 700 years for this promise to be fulfilled. These people that Jesus was speaking to, they were hearing him read this passage, had heard from their parents, who heard from their parents, who heard from their parents, who heard from their parents. Children, you are under a, a foreign ruler, a foreign enemy. There's oppression and hardship and you're in exile and all you're experiencing is sin and death, but there's going to come a day when God's going to come and he's going to break into history and the year of the Lord's salvation and favor will come upon you and he will free you who are captive. 
He will give you liberty. Those who are oppressed, those who are poor, he will bring salvation. And Jesus unrolls this scroll, reads this passage, and look what he says in verse 21. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine being there? You've been waiting for years, and your parents, and your grandparents, and your great-grandparents, for this day. And Jesus says, today, that day is here. There's good news for you who are oppressed. There's good news for you who are poor. And friends, if you are here tonight, there is good news for you and me. Jesus came to triumph over sin. He came to live the life that we couldn't live. We couldn't love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength and neighbors ourselves. We couldn't obey God perfectly, and Jesus did. God the Son, the eternal Son, the second person of the Trinity, put on flesh. He became human like us. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. He lived the life we should have lived and couldn't. He died the death, not for his sin, but for ours. And he was raised from the dead because sin had no victory over him. Sin had no power over him. So that through trusting in him, through receiving him, through placing our trust in him, we are united. We become one with the one who obeyed in our place, suffered in our place, died in our place, was buried in our place, and was raised in our place. So that scripture can say of us, if we've received Christ by faith, we have died to sin. We've been raised to walk in newness of life. We are seated with him in the heavenly places. This is the gospel of the kingdom, the good news that in Christ we are freed from the penalty and power of sin and we wait for the day when Christ will return to rescue us finally from the presence of sin. We have a glorious picture in Revelation 21. You should read it later. And the good news is not only that God has saved us from our past sin, the good news is so good that it not only saves us, but also changes us. It is, after all, the power of God, as Paul says in Romans 1. It provides the resources we need because we are united by faith to the living Christ and indwelt by his spirit. The very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the very same spirit that indwells in us who believe in Jesus. Friend, that's power for living. What amazing resources we have in Christ by his spirit. Scripture says, and I'll close here, God is the source of our lives in Christ Jesus, whom he made our wisdom. Do you need wisdom? Christ is your wisdom. He's become for us our righteousness. Do you try to earn God's approval by what you do? Friends, you can't. God is perfectly holy. And we can only receive approval through the righteous son. Do you need sanctification? It says that Christ is our sanctification. Where do you need change? You're here tonight. Where do you need change? I'm here to tell you, you can find that change and power for change in Christ by his spirit who indwells in you and redemption. He is our redemption. Friends, what we find, right, is that what we need, we have in Christ's life, death and resurrection. As he died on the cross and he says, it is finished. What does that mean for us? It means for us that the Christian life is not that clever Nike slogan, just do it. No, the Christian life is, it's been done. So receive and rest in it because it's what Jesus has done for sinners like you and me.
So what do you need? Do you need strength? Do you need purity? Do you need redemption? Do you need forgiveness? Do you need power to walk in freedom from sin? Do you need hope? Friends, there is each of those things and an infinite thing, infinitely more in Christ. And so if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, can I just say to you, he can change your life. He changed mine. If you turn from your sin, if, if you let go of, of holding on to it and you trust in him, if you rely on him for your salvation, for your righteousness, he can forgive you and he can change you and he can give you hope. And friends, if you're a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, Christ can provi provide what you need. Yes, we are great sinners, but you know what? The good news is we have a greater Savior. So go to him. So as we close, let me just introduce Olivia Hubbard. She's going to come and tell us her story of how God actually entered her story and changed her life. Welcome, Olivia.